Okay, so welcome back to the Bars Loaded podcast. I've got a very exciting guest with me today. Um, this is Ed. Ed runs PsychCheck, which is a company that provides sports psychology. And I've actually previously worked with Ed, which is why we know each other quite well. Um, he's seen, well, I don't know, perhaps the worst of me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a lot. I've seen things, yeah. Yeah, you see it a lot. Um, so hopefully we'll have a really good conversation today. My plan is that we'll kind of talk about lots of topics kind of in and around sports psychology and how it can help powerlifters, but particularly focusing on the area of dealing with failure. Um, it's something that I personally have worked through quite a lot with Ed um, and it's really, really helped me. But I think it's not something that is just something that I struggle with as a powerlifter. I think you tend to find in this sport, there are a lot of people who are quite perfectionistic. I don't know if that's a word, but um, who are perfectionists who come into powerlifting and it attracts people who want to continue to just get better and better and more and more efficient at something. Um, so yeah, I think it's a really interesting topic to cover, but before we dive anywhere near that, I'll let Ed introduce himself and um, just tell us a little bit about who you are, how you got into sports psychology, um, all yeah. that good stuff. Ah, perfect. Yeah, well, thank you for the intro. Anyway, um, so I'm really interested actually into talking about, I guess, failure and perfectionism and everything around that but to intro myself like I said my name is Edgar Chikera I basically founded and own like PsychCheck which does give sports psychology support to different athletes so I've worked in powerlifting, boxing, um, weightlifting, strongman and then also gone to the other side working in gaming and esports so I like to put my fingers in many pies as I like to tell people about where I work and my passion is really just basically helping people become the best versions of themselves that they can be although that really sounds really really corny when I do say it out loud, it's kind of what matters to me because I've, when I was growing up, I was very, I was a big like people watcher. Like mm. I'd like observe people and wonder what's kind of going through their lives. I love looking at uh, psychology documentaries and then I was a competitor too. So my sport was more rugby, but then I realized I don't really want to run at 20 stone people for a long portion of my life and I value my body. So I stopped that <laughs> and then, you know, really helping people out in um, just, you know, just being supporting them and actually holding their hand through chaos because, you know, shit will hit the fan at times as a competitor, things will be very chaotic too. And just to be someone that can support them during that time is what matters to me. And it puts a smile on my face. It makes me very happy when I get to work with people who generally want to just improve themselves and address those areas. Yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the great things about sports psychology is you get to get really in the detail with different athletes and get a real insight into the way that different people view things. And particularly, it must be really interesting working with athletes across different sports as well, because you'll yeah. probably see lots of different uh, ways in which sports psychology techniques can be applied in different areas. So um, what's your favourite kind of sport that you have actually worked in? Yeah. Oh, it's all, it's like asking like a favourite child. <laughs> <as a question. laughs> There's so, it's all so different. I think I realised cultures are really big um, parts of play now because yeah. the powerlifting culture versus weightlifting culture is different versus like CrossFit, right? So the one, it's easier for me to answer which one I'm working with more. I'm working more with esports. I think that's because the difference between a lot of players is now strictly with their mental because the physical is so different. It's not so mm. different. The physical is not really as involved as much mm. as the mental aspects are as well. Like 
you're talking about competitions that will last uh, literally a whole day. Although, although I just realized in powerlifting, you guys have to compete for the whole day as well, which is very, very long. I didn't know how long it was until I was actually just sitting down in the powerlifting me. And it was literally just, obviously it started with, um, with squats. And I thought, okay, cool. This has been like two and a half hours. All right, we're done. It's going to be the next day. It was like, no, 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 no. There's, there's two other lifts. So I was like, oh my God. <laughs> It is a full day event, especially with Scottish powerlifting. Like, I think one of the things in Scottish powerlifting, we tend to have the medal ceremony right at the end of the day. So if you win anything, like if you're in the morning, you're staying till the end of the day, like if you're wanting to get your medals. So it it does kind of incentivize people to volunteer, though, in that second half of the day. So I think in some ways it's got its pros and cons, but it's a long day. It is a long day, but I digress. But yeah, I think... Esports and gaming has been very interesting for me, but when it comes to, I guess, more traditional sports, I've actually really liked understanding the powerlifting and weightlifting like aspect because mm. I'm used to the whole very dynamic aspects of group sports like football and rugby, but you can also rely on other people. But then when you're on that platform, on that stage, it's basically you. Like you can't yeah. really say anyone's really had a, a part to play in your when you are on that platform specifically because mm-hmm. you're the one lifting up and you're the one dropping it you know you have to make sure your cues are on point you have to make sure you're appeasing to the judges so it's very much more self-involved so mm. yeah that's I'm leaning towards that and also boxing because boxing is very interesting because people mm. are just punching each other in the face for a while and it's like when's that person <laughs> going to stop you know so <laughs> that's what I mean it's like picking a favorite child is so hard because they're, they're all unique in their own ways but it kind of maybe depends on what mood I'm in. If I want to have something where I'm focusing on one individual and how they are, then weightlifting. But if I want to focus on a group aspect, mm. then I think it would, like, um, it, it would be an esports or it could be a football, rugby kind mm. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely really interesting. I think powerlifting is one of these sports that's quite unique in the sense that you, it is, it's you, right? It's yeah. totally, it's so individual, which I think yeah. is... I think it's interesting but I guess there's, there's nowhere to hide um so no. yeah that's one of the obviously I came from more of a netball background before I came into powerlifting and it's a very different dynamic because although to be fair like I don't necessarily think there's less pressure because in netball as well like you were if something went wrong you were yeah. kicking yourself because you'd let everyone down if you yeah. made a mistake so there's that dynamic too so I think yeah, yeah. every sport's good it's yeah it's uh, intricacies and stuff yeah. but um I can tell you probably what I'm not least interested in but what I what doesn't tickle me as much I think it's maybe chess I just <laughs> you know I think that's that's probably an easy one easier one for me to answer just chess maybe yeah. I've really worked in it I don't really feel the need to go into that so that's an easier question for me to answer if you are yeah to be fair like even like there's a little costa just along from where me and johnny live and it has like a little chess table and every time we go in johnny wants he's like oh should we just like have a shot of that and i'm like absolutely not it does not interest me in the slightest so anyway it's a long game yes (laughs) yeah um okay right i've got one kind of quick fire question for you so if you could sit for dinner with an athlete and ask them anything who would it be and what would you ask them oh that's a good question hmm huh so I was I was gonna go with well I'm thinking of Michael Jordan to ask about the flu game in a Mm. bit more detail 
because obviously being as a psych, I actually because I use him as a good example, and I use him and Kobe quite a lot because there's a lot of examples when they were they were still performing at their best when mm. they were not in a good state either physically. I think Kobe, like let's say he broke his finger or dislocated part of his finger, you know, and also with Jordan with the flu game and saying, okay, what did you do mentally that kind of helped you still stay focused within that? Yeah, because there's approaches similar to it where where we talk about mindfulness, which I'll talk about later on as well. That relates to helping that and being back and getting into present moment and focusing even if you're physically not feeling great so mm-hmm. kind of just talking to them to talking to them to basically to confirm my theories at least and also just really see like what what did you do what was going through your head during those moments other than like mm-hmm. the standard oh you're so great blah blah I actually want to find out the specific things that they did in mm-hmm. that time but, no that yeah. would be so interesting because I think that is one of the things it's where everything's against you and it's like what you do in that particular moment like I remember one of the kind of I think one of the times where my mental game played the biggest role was when I did Euros last year um I didn't actually feel amazing going into the competition to be honest but you can't really almost accept that do I mean you're trying to constantly tell yourself no I'm fine like it's going to be a good day but I did feel probably I felt very nervous for one thing um and then I went into the bench press like squat was okay I went two for three and then bench press I failed my opener and there was no there was like nobody could have seen it coming my warm-ups moved really well I didn't have any concerns it was a weight I'd used it moved a lot in the gym and I just didn't think there would be any external factor that would cause it to not go well Mm -hmm. And I like literally went into the back and my first thought was I'm going to bomb out of Euros. Like this is the biggest comp I've ever done. And I like I just didn't think I had the strength. I didn't think it was a technique issue. I was like, oh, my days, I am going to bomb out. And I had Mm. to literally flip a switch in my head and be like, Mm. right, you cannot think that thought. Like you just cannot, you've got to switch on and get back out there and do it. And I think I grinded it out on my second attempt and just (laughs) got it. And I was like, right, that's done. Like I think I went one for three on bench, but I was just so relieved to have got that second attempt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, it's, I think a lot of times when people will say, oh, can I get some sports like support? A lot of it's related to either confidence or nerves, Mm. but when I do speak to them, I get them to actually understand there's so many people that are going to be nervous anyway. Mm-hmm. I think nerves are kind of demonized um, a lot because obviously you're a human being, like you're going to experience a whole range of emotions, but people need to have more realistic expectations about nerves, I think, yeah. and just about competitions, to be honest. You know, like how many people are like, oh yeah, you've, you're fine, or everyone's saying you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, but then you know you're not the same, although things will be okay. But mm. I think there's a lot of false expectations about competition and mm. to be like look you'll be nervous maybe at some point you we want to feel like you're gonna puke you know and that's still okay and you know to kind of be at least reassured that this is normal like I'm not being weird or I'm not yeah. doing things that other competitors won't feel because I've worked from from professional athletes to amateur athletes and everyone's experienced nerves although it's different intensities but they mm-hmm. do still experience it but then they deal with it differently and I think mm. that's the obviously the important bit. And their relationship with it is different, which is mm. why you see some nerves affect people really badly and some don't. So. Yeah, no, that's really, really interesting. I honestly think that's such a big game changer when you can learn to work with your nerves 
and not constantly fight them like I definitely used to have that impression of right I need to take deep breaths I need to try and control my nerves and I know for some people that might help them potentially but for me it was like I'm just focusing so much on how nervous I feel by trying to squish it down um instead of just embracing it and being like let like I'm going to let this give me my edge rather than hide it but it's really hard to know sometimes with those things it's so individual how people deal with it yeah I think people also need to understand what nerves properly are that's you know when when something meaningful is happening or about to happen your brain's basically thinking okay do I have the resources to deal with this demand and it's like it's it's a little bit in the limbo where it's like trying to balance it out and figure it out whether you do or do not yeah but then everything that's happening is normal because you're in a stressed experience in a stressed Mm. environment and actually realizing that this is because I, this actually means something to me. I think, I don't know what the athlete was that said this, but they were saying, if I don't get nervous, then I don't feel like I'm ready for it because I need to feel like this is something that means things to me. For example, mm-hmm. there'll be times, let's say when you're training or even competing and give an example of the openers, right? Maybe where people are like, oh yeah, I've lifted this before. It doesn't matter, you know, and they don't, don't really feel much. And then they can easily yeah. bomb because just, they're just going through it, like through the motions and, there could be like elements of complacency because they're maybe not focusing as much on the certain cues they should be going through or they're not Mm -hmm. really um yeah they're not really embracing that moment as much as they could do but then when nerves comes in like you're so your body's basically sending so much blood to your brain you know because the reason why you feel butterflies is because the blood goes away from your stomach and then goes towards your brain and to your muscles like where it's needed Mm -hmm. so your body's like saying cool something's happening now we need to focus up and then that's where it's kind of used right but not mm. everyone understands that side of the nerves and thinks oh this is really bad for me where it's like no mm-hmm. my body's actually geared up to something important right now yeah yeah that's so interesting like I always say to Johnny that when I go into a competition a bit of me always goes why am I doing this to myself I hate <laughs> this feeling so much and it's just yeah. that minute before you're about to go out and do your first squat and I'm just like I'm literally putting myself through torture doing this voluntarily yeah. Um, yeah. but you know once the first squat's over I'm, I'm on such a high but it's yeah sometimes it's a lot <laughs> yeah it's always like that first that first lift or the first like minute of a competition it's just getting through that and then after that then you start enjoying the experience a bit more mm. least I find that out as a com- as a competitor like the first minute like I'm just pooing myself to be honest I'm like oh my god my heart's just like beating so fast like gonna go out of my chest kind of thing and then as soon as you just go through the first minute I'm like oh okay it's fine like and then you kind of get into the groove a bit more after that yeah yeah definitely okay right leading on from that um what do you think is one of the most effective mental tools that you've seen a lifter use um in competition or in training that's produced a really positive effect yeah I think with techniques it's been it's been so let's just say the bar's in front of you right and I'll talk more about training because that's when there's a lot of chances where you fail quite often and it's resetting quickly is quite important so let's say they failed um failed a rep Mm -hmm. or something so what they do is literally leave let's say go behind the wall and then come back again to the bar so it's yeah. like physically distancing yourself but then also getting the chance to mentally distance yourself from what just happened and then mm-hmm. that helps reset and also focusing on like the five senses so yeah. more specifically touch when 
let's say you're about to approach the bar or let's say you're right by the bar and you're squatting. So like focusing on the feeling of the bar on your hands, for example, or on the bar on your back. And then that helps mm. you bring yourself back into the moment and then mm. not think about how you're feeling and not overthink things because you're like, okay, I can feel, let's say the grip on the bar as well. I can feel the steel. I can feel how cold it is, warm it is. And focusing on that bit helps them mm. refocus back into where they are now, as opposed to, oh, can I lift this weight? Oh, this feels heavy. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be all right. I, if I go down, I don't know if I'm coming back up. You know, those thoughts that happen before you're about to compete, but being able mm. to touch and focus back in on the moment has been really useful for a lot of mm. lifters that have at least seen or let me have an insight into their into their brain. That's really interesting. I think that's something I could definitely apply, like in terms of really being in the moment, because yeah. I think you can, it can really psych you out. I think if you get under a bar and it's like a really, really heavy weight and all of a sudden your brain is just having this little story to itself saying, yeah. oh my goodness, this is so heavy. I'm never going to yeah. be able to lift this. And I'm being able to like just focus on physical sensations in that moment. Yeah is actually really grounding I guess that's a bit of a grounding technique then but yeah um yeah. yeah no definitely it's funny one of the things I've started implementing too similar to this is recently I was going to squat 150 and you when I was going to squat it and mm. I, I was like I'm planning for this and I just thought mm. do you know see if I've never felt that on my back I don't know if I'm going to be able to mentally yeah. deal with it yeah. So I started in the weeks leading up to it, just walking out 150 and just holding it for 10 seconds yeah. and thinking, if I know what this feels like now and, mm. and just prepping my mind for like, I'm going to squat this in three weeks, I'm going to squat this in three weeks. Yeah. And I honestly think that made such a difference to when I actually mm. did walk out and I wasn't just like, oh, crap, this is so heavy. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. well, cool, you're going to you're going to think that regardless I don't think there's any amount of and I could be wrong and if I am so be it but I don't think there's any amount of preparation that can help you manage the thoughts that will come in as soon as you lift something more that you haven't done before yeah although you maybe you're physically able to do it but I think it's like the oh okay this is this is this is this is heavy you know it's even more and there's times I've when I've when I've trained although I'm not a powerlifter by any stretch of the imagination but I remember trying to do 140 and then I hadn't lift I haven't put like 140 in terms of on the bar on my back mm. before mm-hmm. and I remember feeling I was like oh okay this is quite heavy so I went down and there's a video of it that I'm gonna post soon as well I went down and then I went back up and I half bailed and I half didn't because I literally <laughs> did not know what what to do because I was like this weight's on my back I haven't really had this weight <laughs> on my back before I'm not too sure and then I kind of like lift it with like one arm in while somebody's trying to run in to try and save me as well in the in the, in the process but my point being of like the thoughts will come in and yeah. as a competitor to when you do compete it's understanding that you can't spend that time trying to constantly change your thoughts especially mm. when you're just about to execute a skill which is where mm-hmm. that touching comes into good use because it helps you refocus back again into that moment as opposed to going back again into those thoughts in more depth or being like oh I shouldn't be thinking this let me think something else which is very taxing to do yes mm. yeah because you're only under the bar in powerlifting for like it's not like you've got a whole duration of a game or something to kind of switch yeah. your you know your head around like you literally have like seconds to make yeah. that switch so yeah mm-hmm. doing something that's that taxing sometimes is just too much for your brain to do in that space of time that's really interesting yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, cool. So let's move on a little bit to the kind of main topic of discussion, talk a little bit around managing failure. So basic kind of starter question, why do you think that we struggle so much as athletes with failure? Yeah, I want to, I'm trying to go away from the standard, like, I guess, social norms part of it, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people know that with with media, especially within powerlifting too, like there's a big presence of everyone's obviously throwing their success reels. And it's, it's basically Instagram is like a big highlight reel as well. So a lot yeah. of people are, oh, look, everyone's lifting this. Oh, another PB from someone else. And all you see is everyone getting PBs or everyone's lifting high weights, you know, and you're thinking, ah, okay, I'm not doing anything similar to that. Like that is, I think, a very important component. And I'm sure a lot of listeners will also relate to that because yeah. it's true. I think, I think powerlifting as a sport is very comparative. Mm. It's also easier to judge as well because it's, you know, everyone knows this standards as well so everyone can see that but also everyone will see someone's weight etc so you know we'll be like oh okay I'm not really doing well because people think maybe failure is not lifting the same amount as someone else in their weight class for example but I also wrote this down as well I'm trying to think what I put down oh yeah I put down about the meanings attached to failure is is obviously why there's a I guess an issue with it because Mm. if somebody was to say okay I failed what would they fill in the rest of the sentence with? Because people will say, okay, I failed, which means that I suck. I failed, which means that maybe I'm not worth approval or I failed, which means I'm not a true athlete. It's, mm. it's the, I think the meaning and the inferences people make from failure mm. is the key thing to why it also has a detrimental effect on people's performances. Because some athletes are like, cool, I failed. I, I've learned from it, right? That, that yeah. cliche, um, saying is are those basically are for those athletes who are able to like learn and develop and still continue and knowing that it's obviously part of the process but that is not often either on that one and I'm sure you can you can I'm sure you can relate to times where maybe like oh I failed this isn't great I don't like this you know a competition's coming up in a couple weeks and I already failed a rep that's my opener this isn't good yeah I think that's really difficult as well though because when you fail something in competition like well not quite here's a good example so like recently it wasn't exactly so much of a a failure of a attempt but I went in for a very big deadlift session which was meant to be the final deadlift session of the block going for a really heavy double I was in my head I'm like I'm going for 165 plus it's going to be a big weight really was head in the game turned up and the minute I think I lifted 140 as a warm-up I got this nerve pain all the way up my back right to my neck and I was like oh that's not ideal but being me and being an idiot and stubborn as I am I just thought (laughs) do you know what I'm just gonna push through it like I I want this session so much and I think I um, got to 157 for that was my last warm-up and I pulled it and I just was like no this is a bad idea and I had to kind of go I need to leave this session I need to and I phoned my coach Char and she was like just stop deadlifting you know we'll we'll do it another time this doesn't it's much more important that you stay healthy and that we can work around this before it gets too bad so I mean I did that but see the feeling of like walking away from a session that was meant to be like this really big session it's so hard to regulate those emotions because you start feeling like you know you're so disappointed I think there's some emotions that are just natural where you've got the kind of the disappointment and the feeling of kind of like oh that you almost feel I don't know if it's quite embarrassed but just a little bit of a twinge of yeah 
I don't know, frustration maybe a bit as well. But I don't think necessarily all those emotions are bad things. They're just quite natural. But I think it can turn to a sort of self-loathing and yeah. destructive emotions quite quickly, can't it? So yeah. yeah, there's this like it's the way the way I see or start seeing emotions too, it's it's not like whether it's good or bad, it's just whether it's functional or dysfunctional. So yeah. There can be like concern and disappointment and that's obviously going to be normal but then those can also lead you to behaving in ways that are helpful too so a helpful behavior would literally be to stop lifting at the time <laughs> but I've, I've even had experiences i'm like oh my shoulder's going i'm not too sure still try to do like a snatch or whatever right or still go to like a boxing training where i'm still battering my my, my shoulder in but then mm. and then that's when i think feelings like pride come into place as well or maybe yep maybe guilt too because you're thinking oh someone else has planned this for me as well and I can't do it for them so if I don't do it for them then I'm disappointing them and I'm failing them too this is also mm -hmm. something linked with why failure is quite a big topic of interest and to why we do other things that we shouldn't do because we think about the consequences of someone else even though we don't know for example if you went to Shah oh I'm so sorry I didn't get to finish the program there you know I was injured Oh, I felt my back going too, and I'm sorry to disappoint you. And she'll be like, what do you mean to disappoint me? I'd rather you not do it and be, and you know, and be fine than continue doing it and then mm -hmm. be more injured, you know, and then that means that there's two months or three months spent recovering instead. Mm. So th those are also aspects that make failure quite, I guess, difficult for people to wrap their heads around and to yeah. rest through. Yeah, because it can be very loaded. I think as well there's like every individual has their own background and their own history for why they actually maybe think the way that they do and you know if you have had if you've got something where you are a bit of a people pleaser and you're trying to kind of like seek that approval all the time from people that can translate into your training and then how you deal with failure and it can be like oh my goodness I'm like disappointing people by you know yeah. not achieving this or maybe you've got this feeling of I need to achieve this to validate myself against you know my peers or you know there's and I think social media like you said earlier makes that so much harder particularly in powerlifting like I think you're right it's a particular sport and even just general weightlifting like you'd see it in general gym goers now as well there's this yeah. comparison all the time of it's either aesthetics and how somebody's looking how lean they are and whether or not they can pose super well um yeah. <laughs> or it's like you know their pbs and all you're constantly seeing on your instagram is like oh my goodness there's another really skinny stage ready um yeah. bodybuilder and there's somebody hitting a 307 kilo squat which i saw durance hitting the other day and i was like oh my days there's some people yeah. that are out of this world in british powerlifting but yeah. um <laughs> yeah. yeah just even touching on that i remember i think obviously you posted johnny lifting right and for me I have like this real mental block when it comes to squats. I've gotten a lot better with it, but my, I have like a fear of just dropping and crumbling because I was never really told mm -hmm. how to bail properly with it. But then now I know, so it makes it easier to squat heavier weights. There was mm -hmm. a time I think Johnny was lifting more than I did when I squatted. <laughs> What, didn't he do like 150 plus or something or 160 at, at one competition? He, he's, 
so his first comp, he actually scored 180, finished on 180. On like yeah. not the mock, the mock comp, it was 170. I think he did. Um, but yeah, yeah. No. he's doing really well. <laughs> yeah, I've never I've never squatted that before in my life. So I'm literally looking at this. I'm like, I am a big person. I I haven't squatted that. I haven't attempted it before. <laughs> I haven't squatted that before. And he's doing it. And he's he's a, he's a cyclist. Like he cycles. <laughs> I was like, what's going on here? I don't. I you know I've lifted weights for a long time. He cycles and he's squatted more than I am, you know. And then that's like the automatic thoughts that kick in. Exactly. And then you start thinking, okay, if I spent my time training for this month amount of time and someone who hasn't done it as frequently is quite more, then does that mean I'm good enough as someone? I should be doing this, right? And yeah. I must be doing more. And then that's when those thoughts now come in about I'm a failure or that labeling comes in as well into it too, where it's quite self-deprecating in that way. Yeah. Yeah, that's my little personal anecdote. And then also people start thinking thoughts of reality, which is a whole other field game. It's so interesting, though, because even in that example, like, it's funny how you take the bits of information that you know about someone and you connect the dots in your mind and you're yeah. telling this story to yourself but you don't actually necessarily know the background so it's like in the example that you gave it's like well johnny had literally quit cycling over the winter and he was just powerlifting he was a complete yeah. novice so he's getting all of these kind of newbie gains and yeah. you know he's a cyclist who's got big legs so his squat's really good but his yeah. bench is lagging behind because he's never trained his upper body so like yeah. there's lots of things that it's like if you see the full picture you start to go oh, actually you know mm. you start to be able to make a more realistic um yeah, estimation of what's actually happening but if yeah. you don't have those you are like you're just filling the blanks aren't you and it makes yourself yeah. feel so much worse <laughs> yeah. and as people that's what we're well evolutionary as well the theories is that's what we're built to do of we want to make conclusions with as little information as we can and mm. hoping that that's the correct way to go because you know trying to take all the information is very mentally taxing and we want to yeah. be really efficient so like okay this is what i understand and this is the end result connect the dots this is the conclusion right and then that is a lot of reasons to why we have certain issues too because we don't take in all the factors and it's also a lot it's a lot of effort to take in all the factors too so mm. yeah no that's really interesting yeah um okay right I'll this is a question that I'm really interested to know what you think about right because I've seen a lot of people posting stuff even on social media recently where they've been like I've had this massive failure and I failed and I had this injury or I missed weight or you know for example I think I saw Leah Balfour actually put a post up about you know this is her kind of redemption arc coming back yeah. to um worlds this year after having missed weight and I, I tend to see that quite a lot in powerlifting where people um are almost like using frustration and anger from a failure to like yeah. motivate them to achieve something else and I was just wondering because I think personally I would see mm. that for myself as quite an unhealthy way of approaching things like yeah. for me personally as a lifter if I was motivating myself with anger it probably wouldn't end well <laughs> but I'm just, but I'm just like wondering: is that something that is? Can that be done in a healthy way, or is there a much healthier way to approach motivation? <laughs> yeah, there's definitely healthier ways to approach motivation. <laughs> I think the it's it's very Hollywood, though, and and mm. I think because of that, you have a lot of documentaries out as well, a lot of books. It it sells quite a lot. It makes for like good stories. Too yeah. of you know use your anger as motivation or you know use that frustration to 
get you to the other bit. That only also works out if you if you win, I guess, or if you improve. Yeah. And that does I don't think that happens the majority of the time because what's yeah. gonna happen now if you use that anger to fuel your motivation? Because first of all, emotions aren't the rational, logical way of progressing as someone. Because if you use your emotions to for example, if I use all my emotions to base my decisions or my actions, then I'll be doing a lot of really unhelpful things, I think. <laughs> you know, if it's slight frustration, then that makes sense. It goes back again to what I meant by functional and dysfunctional emotions, where mm. I guess frustration can be very functional. Concern can be very functional because it means, okay, let me go back. Let me review things properly. Let me create a plan of action because your emotion is helping at least fuel your energy into doing that. Mm-hmm. But when you have anger or maybe intense emotions then I think that could lead you to being a bit dysfunctional in terms of maybe you you sacrifice a lot of other aspects of your life for it because maybe you become a little bit obsessive over what goes on you maybe don't go through the process or don't do your due diligence where you're properly evaluating you're talking to the coaches as well you're making sure you have everything sorted but you don't get those nuanced bits when people are making their posts they just say, oh, I'm going to use my anger, you know, to help me get to the next hurdle. And they may actually yeah. be doing the good things, but you don't know. But then not everyone knows what to do after mm. competition done. So it's, it's all these factors in play. I would definitely recommend people just being very strategic, like understand the emotion, the frustration is going to be there, which is, which is fine. Mm. It's am I now attacking the problem in a way that doesn't make me sacrifice my own well-being? Because some mm. people would as well. They're like, oh. I'm going to just be in the dark, be in the cave, you know, and isolate myself from everyone and not talk to anyone for like the next four months until my next competition, you know, and that's not going to be good, you know, because your mental well-being as well influences performance too. And mm. you need to be around coaches, rebound, support people as well to help you through that journey. And then if you're losing that now, because like, oh, all I need is the anger to motivate me, then that's where the issue comes in. So that's my little two, p- two pence. Yeah, exactly. I think it can be like in some ways I think frustration can be in some ways a powerful motivator but I think it's so dangerous just because it always has that risk of going into this sort of like I'm going to force myself to feel pain almost like a self-punishment kind of thing you know where people go so hard because they're so frustrated at themselves for some sort of failure that they're like pushing themselves and ignoring their body's pain signals um which is actually really interesting because I know that personally that's what I would do if I if I like had a terrible failure and I was trying to use that instead of processing it and putting in a box and starting afresh if I was trying to use that as some sort of propellant to some sort of catalyst to get really good uh and and come back from it I would just be like you know (laughs) <laughs> abusing yeah. my body basically yeah. <laughs> and it would not be healthy if I just yeah. know it wouldn't be but yeah and there's know. so much I think there's so much um talk or at least research within exercise addiction and areas mm-hmm. in that and also whether certain bits actually count now as self-harm because people can exercise a lot to the point where mm-hmm. they do their intentions behind it aren't holy you know it's because there's maybe it does that self-harm element because it hurts you know when you're when you're if you let's say just repping out things as well just going through going through the movement as well and your legs are burning lactate is building up etc you know whether now because you're so angry at yourself too 
that you feel like you need to punish your body in a way and exercise seems more, the more healthy way of punishing it but then there's that line where to what extent now am I harming myself mm, you know, yeah. and then that also socially too when I talk about isolation but also physically when it comes to that and all those things so it's a Pandora's box to open when it comes to using negative emotions in there and people just need to be really aware how functional am I being now from that and is what mm. I'm doing going to help me towards my goals or am I actually being self-destructive yeah yeah no I think yeah that's really helpful I'm glad that I had like <laughs> you were, did just turn around and be like yeah no Andrew's a great motivator okay um so I think a lot of powerlifters as well are, like I said earlier they can be perfectionists I think you see a lot of powerlifters especially elite powerlifters who you know they, they're they've cracked efficiency and it's yes. all about being really as efficient as possible and there's like an attraction for perfectionists because you know powerlifting rewards that maximal efficiency yes. um how do you think powerlifters um can change that rigid perfectionistic mindset whilst also still chasing that improvement which makes them great yeah I think it's it's a big task as well because we're talking about that attitude changes. Mm. I definitely would invite those to start reflecting on what is actually meaningful to them too because maybe they're doing it for the completely different intentions. So people will have different values or different core values they might have. Some people is a lot with achievement, some people is power, authority, equality, wherever it might be. And for mm -hmm. them to really like explore that in depth and then see what other actions I can do that still relate to it so if I care about achievement I don't need to be constantly tr in the gym every single day as well it's mm. okay how do I do this more effectively obviously looking at food sleep um training etc yeah so realizing that I don't need to be obsessive about something to still be in alignment with what I value and what yeah. my goals are but also they need to explore their thoughts related to what they do. So when I talk about reflection, it's very, very in-depth. It's going to be like, okay, what do I think when I fail something? Or what's the first thought that goes into my head? Dive a bit deeper as well. What's so bad about this? What's so bad about failing, for example, right? If I fail, then do, what do I think happens? Okay, what happens if that happens, you know? And going a bit in-depth, like an onion, like you're peeling yeah. the layers. And then you go into really like challenging those thoughts. So how true is it that if I do fail, that means that I'm going to suck, you know, as a person? Or I think maybe for perfectionists, it would be looking at why do I feel like I have to do something or must do something? So mm. I think it, go, it goes again with like what's shown in documentaries and what's seen as sexy. It's like, oh, this is like do or die, you know? If it's not do or die, then you won't, then you won't get to, to win everything too, but it's it's not do or die and it's fine if it's not do or die you can still have the same mm. you can still have the same wanting and the same passion to achieve your best you don't have to go that extra step further now and saying oh it's do or die because although it does the end results are quite not good the end results are normally like people will, will sometimes succeed but not everyone does when they have this do or die mentality the negatives really outweigh the positives when you take a really extreme view of those situations so realizing mm. I don't need to be as extreme in my views I can want something just as much I don't have to say it's a must because when you say mm. must this is like people must eat people must drink you know <laughs> people must go to the toilet you need to sleep you know you need to breathe those are musts 
not oh I need to be you know number one in that it's instead it could be like I obviously really 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 want to do it you can still have the same intentions mm. and still have the same desire and strong passion for it but it's not putting in the same level as breathing in there but yeah. I'm sure people are going to be like oh no but you know people who do really 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 want it you know and make it a must get there but think about how many people want that at that level and then don't get there and then the consequence that they also deal with in that case so it's really understanding there's more than one way to cook a potato basically and you don't have to just yeah must 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 all the time and should and putting those higher demands on yourself than you necessarily need to yeah no 100% I hope people can't hear Barney going mad in the background and another dog um, oh, I can't hear anything from here so I, it's quite <laughs> um yeah I was also thinking that just when you were talking about that about I think one of the reasons why like I think people often get in a state because they're trying to control things that aren't their controllables like you know yeah. they're they're when they're, you're a perfectionist as well sometimes you you know you can get your sleep pretty right you can get your nutrition pretty good but when it comes to there's so many things that you can't actually control um and also I think there's an extent to which like there's even things like you need to have a social life like if you're like trying to 100% nail your nutrition all of the time then you know you're never gonna go you're gonna be that person with a scale like at the restaurant (laughs) just like weighing out their chicken and like only ordering like we can only go to Nando's guys because I need to have chicken in place (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly right and it's it goes back again to the whole dysfunctional side of things where if you're sacrificing a lot with social like aspects of like your social function even some people with their job as well maybe where they either they don't have the energy now for their work or they're sacrificing shift times as well to do something else which can work depending on what their goals are but when you start taking away from other aspects of yourself then that's when things are a concern in place and it, it I think it's a really hard thing to navigate as an athlete especially when you're starting off younger because you, you see a lot of these documentaries that are saying people have to make so many different sacrifices or I never spoke to everyone anyone now that didn't want to didn't want to be in my sport or you know you know cut them off or cut the weeds off and blah blah but the fact is we're very social obviously yes and also you have to enjoy well you don't have to but my my values is enjoying life and enjoying the experiences whilst it happens and you still can be regimented but you also need to give yourself leeway otherwise you're you're too rigid and Mm. if you freeze an elastic band you can snap it easily but when it's normal it's quite flexible so really making yourself more flexible more fluid to help navigate through life because it's going to come a time you're like oh okay I spent 10 years now not seeing friends and not eating not even going out to eat food at a different place other than Nando's you know um, okay I wish I did things differently and then kind of regretting it yeah I think like definitely I think that's a really good analogy of like the elastic band because I think that's one thing it's interesting because I think actually perfectionism well some people think that's what makes people the one percent in the world it's their like drive for like the best but I think it actually reduces resilience in some ways like maybe I would argue it does because if you think about it like you're always going to find the odd powerlifter who's like I only train in a gym that has like perfect plates and it has the perfect colors and it's got the perfect bar and then they go to a competition and like even euros right like 
there was talc all over the floor and I like slipped <laughs> I actually slipped and broke my toe you know it's like oh, I'm not even God. joking like yeah. it was bad but like I mean, to be fair, I was a little bit raging about the fact that there was that much talc all over the floor that that you happened. You used that question like, who did this? Was it you? Was it you? <laughs> Literally. Oh, man, yeah. it was not good. But um, yeah. I think, like, you're gonna, you're never always going to have the perfect environment. Like, particularly in, like, Scottish powerlifting, for example, like, as a division, like, we maybe don't always have gyms that we can go to that have like mm-hmm. so much they you know comp specific kit that everyone can warm up with comp specific kit like that just yeah. isn't realistic so yeah. the you know you've got to be able to not freak out when you're then in an environment where you're like okay I actually have to warm up with bumper plates or whatever and then yeah. go out and compete on comp kit I've got to be able to adapt and be resilient like I can't actually be so perfectionistic that I'm like this is going to ruin my day because I've not got the perfect like environment you've got to be able to you know adapt and overcome and I think that's actually a big part I think people often see right it's the people who you know have got it perfect that get to the top I don't necessarily think that's true I think sometimes it can just be people who have are really motivated to achieve the best that they possibly can and have also learned to perform well under competition conditions and then also have that adaptability where you know they can fly across the world and something can go wrong and they can miss a flight or you know their you know their period starts just before they're about to compete and they're like oh my goodness and they can actually mentally navigate all of these um obstacles that you know that aren't the perfect environment yeah and there's there's times where I've literally I'll fly with some athletes too, and there was one competition, and he ended up winning the whole thing anyway. But there was one competition <laughs> where his training was going really badly, like yeah. horribly, where he's missing everything, like it just was not going well. And everyone's like, oh, every, it must have been like really good for you, like during the training period. He goes, no, it was really shit, <laughs> like it was really really bad. But what matters as well is that. Things I think people who rely on perfectionists or things being perfect too are the ones that also won't progress more because unless the conditions are the same or perfect, then they won't exude or put that effort in. Because yeah. you can't control a lot of things in life. And when you obviously realize that, then it means that you think, what can I do with the resources that I have to at least make the best out of these situations? Mm. And oftentimes those athletes are the ones that will do better or at least progress better because they're not waiting for things to be perfect. They know they mm. need to just start doing something and exert their effort into at least progressing as opposed to waiting for everything to be great. 100%. Like, I think I saw a post, like, recently that was talking kind of exactly about that, that was saying that sometimes the athletes that win are not mm. even necessarily the ones who are the strongest, who can lift the most kilo for kilo. It's the ones who are the most strategic, who adapt to the day, who navigate the nerves, who, you know, there's so many factors that aren't just like ultimate strength that come into competing. And it's about actually being able to navigate those as well. Um, It's not just about, right, I am the strongest, I can lift the most kilos. It's also about navigating all those factors too. Yeah, like I was going to say, how about when, like in the training area, right, where where you guys are warming up where there's no ventilation for example and it's just a hot room at times or it's just freezing cold you know at times as well and actually need mm. to navigate around that like warm-ups won't be perfect maybe the day won't feel perfect you'll still be sore like being an athlete means that you're going to be sore most of the time mm. you know because you're lifting or there'll be some aspects of injury so it's also knowing I need to adapt and be flexible with that 
and then have something in place. And that's when having a list of coping resources and strategies in place is going to be useful for people to help them adapt and be flexible in their situations. Definitely. Okay, well, I think we've covered an awful lot and I think that's quite a lot for people to digest. Have you got any sort of like key takeaway um, that you want people to kind of think about maybe something that they could implement that you think would would really help them with their um, mindset and their lifting? I'd probably say spend just as much time exploring your mind and trying to develop it as much as you do as the technical side of things. I think a lot of people yeah. think because because we're in our body for however many years we're lucky enough to live for, we think that we know enough or that we don't need to try and develop it as much. But it's mm. like any other skill. You actually do need to take time to develop it. So reflections are really good on doing it, reflecting specifically on how did I approach my training? What was I thinking during these times? What mm. did I focus on? What was maybe a barrier to my play, playing a part, et cetera? I think that's really useful. Mm-hmm. I also think on competition days, having those talks with whoever's handling you or whoever's coaching you at the time and being really selfish and being like, this is what I need from yeah. you. Yeah. Because it it was the same in bo- when I've worked in boxing, uh, when I've worked with other sports as well, with coaches, which people can like handle them, is they need to know what you need. And then yeah. sometimes it's really hard for us to tell people what we need because we're thinking, mm. oh, okay, they probably know better than I do. But then you know at times what you need. For example, I don't need to be slapped on the back before I'm about to compete. Thank you very much. But you know, <laughs> you know people need to be whacked or slapped in the face, you know? It's, it's having that communication because that's a relationship when you're in it. And they need to know what they can do to help support you. And then you need to be empowered to be like, this is what I know I need. And I know yeah. that you're supporting me, so this is important. Yeah. And then the last one is just probably... Obviously, enjoy it, but just be where your feet are. Is just you're here, you know, you're embracing it. Like you said, nobody's forced you to be here. You've <laughs> voluntarily put yourself into into a whole day of competition, you know. So try to enjoy it as much as you can. Easier said yeah. than done, but you know, no one's put a gun to your head. It's something that you've spent your time training into, and by not focusing on being present in the moment, you also rob yourself from the joy that you can have from it. Yeah. No, I totally agree. No, I think those are really great takeaways. So um, before we just wrap up, where can people find you if they are interested in working with you? Okay, there's so socials is just psych underscore check. So it's spelled P-S-Y-C-H underscore C-H-E-K. Um, on, mainly on Instagram for people in traditional sports, but any sports is more on Twitter. But then also have a website, which is just www.psych-check.co.uk, where I have like articles, some videos, infographics, also other podcast episodes. So I've talked okay. with Olympic athletes too, and international athletes as well, just around their mental and that side of things too. So if people want resources, it's there, but it's also got contact details on that too. Fantastic. Okay, right. Thank you very much, Ed. That's been such an interesting discussion and I'm sure everyone will really, really enjoy it. So thank you for coming on the podcast with me. Thank you for having me, Amy. Thank you for the talk. (laughs) Okay, right. Catch you soon. Bye. Bye. (laughs)